blessing of your presence. God, you are everywhere at the same time. You are omnipresent, but God, you have chosen to manifest yourself in this room. And I thank you for the sweet smelling savor of your presence. Oh God, speak your servants. Listen, teach us, Holy Spirit, what you would have us to know. Speak to our hearts and to our minds. You get all of the glory and you get all of the praise in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. We do pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. In the building. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I don't know if you know it, but if you can hear the sound of my voice, you're blessed. If you got breath in your body, you're blessed. If you got clothes on your back, you might not have a dime in your pocket, but you still are blessed. If you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, you're blessed. You might not have all you want, but thanks be to God, you have all you need, and God has given you victory over the enemy, and you're blessed. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is in the blessing business, and that he blesses those. Even when we don't deserve it, he gives us grace that we call unmerited favor, and I'm, I'm excited today. Are you guys excited today? We're excited, and we're going to start in a, in a new Bible study series, we're going to be looking through the book of Ephesians. I, I have been praying and thinking, and I, I believe it's time for us to get on to some biblical books and teaching some books of the Bible. Um, and the reason I believe that is because I believe that right thinking creates right behavior. Paul did too. Paul wrote to a church in Rome, a little small church, and he spent the first 11 chapters of that book of Romans. And he spent that 11 chapters telling people what they should believe. Paul had never been to Rome. So Paul, when he was writing the book of Romans, he was probably thinking, what should I say to them since I haven't been there? What would they need? What would a church need to survive? And so he spent the first 11 chapters on doctrine. Doxes, telling the church what it is that they should believe. And after they had figured out what they should believe, then he taught them how they should respond. He starts in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, saying, Now I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, since you believe right now, it's time to live right. And if many times we don't live right simply because we don't believe right, and I don't know about you, but in these days, especially when we don't have a deeper sense of Christianity, it is good to get deep into the word. Amen? We're going to start in the book of Ephesians 
starting at Ephesians chapter 1, obviously, and I want to give you a little bit of background about Ephesians. It's always good when you're doing Bible studies, and we're going to make a way for you guys to have these notes online as well. If you're watching online, welcome. We're grateful that you've taken the time to stop uh, and to worship with us, and hopefully that you'll have something that's relative and life-changing to you. But I want to make sure that we get some background uh, for Ephesus and Ephesians because it's important for us to look at the Bible through the lenses of the people that it was written to. Because what it meant to them, we need to make sure it means the same thing to us. And sometimes across time, uh, things change and we need to make sure that we're putting the word in its proper place and not being anachronistic. You can pull up the first slide, guys. We start in Ephesus. Ephesus is established, the Ephesus church is established about 53 AD. Uh, Paul is establishing that church on the way back from a missionary journey, his second missionary journey, Paul is headed back to Jerusalem and Paul decides to establish the church of Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. Paul has been in the ministry some time now and it's important. Ephesus is important because it's one of the five major cities of the Roman Empire. Ephesus is very influential. So it's important to have a church in that city center. Paul decides to start the church in Ephesus and he goes on uh, uh, after a little while, uh, back to where he's going, he stays. And after about a year, he comes back to Ephesus and he stays there for three years. After staying there for three years, Paul has a lot of adventures in the book of Ephesus. Uh, well, not in the book of Ephesus, in the book of Acts. If you'll look at the book of Acts, uh, starting about chapter 19, you'll start to see some of the things that Paul does in Ephesus. He often, he even in 1 Timothy 1 and 3 establishes a pastor in Ephesus by the name of Timothy. All of us have heard of Timothy, right? So if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 3, you will learn that Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus uh, later on after this book uh, or in the, in the midst of this book. And Ephesus is an important center, but Ephesus is also a very wicked city. It is full of the magic and it is full of the occult. Uh, they have a huge temple there to the goddess Artemis. And one of the things that they like to do there is idol worship. And idol worship is something that God has forbidden uh, in his word. Idol worship is something that God has told us not to do. And I'm going to send the media team crazy uh, real quick, but I'm going to ask them to pull up uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 13. And uh, just so we can read that, I want you to see some things that God is putting up that are actually forbidden. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 through 13, it says, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn... To imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one found among you who sacrifices their son in the fire. Who practices divination or sorcery or interprets omens, uh, Ouija boards, and uh, what else do we do? Uh, horoscopes and Pisces and signs and things like that. Don't do those types of things. Or cast spells or try to do good luck or, or psychic hotlines or things in that or who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of these detestable practices. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before them. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So we see that one of the things that is detestable to the Lord is something that is big business uh, to the people in Ephesus. So you see a lot of demon possession in the book of Ephesus or not in the book of Ephesus. 
Ephesians, but you see a lot of demon possession in Ephesus. And why you do that is because many of people do not know, but when you create an idol, not just the normal idol, uh, anything that is worshipped outside of the creator becomes an idol, and there is a spirit behind that. Did you know that? That there's a spirit behind that thing that is being worshipped. Uh, media team, if you could pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 18. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 18. I want you to read that so you'll know I'm not just making that up. It says this, it says, consider the people of Israel, do not those who eat sacrifices participate in the altar. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is nothing or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to who? Demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. So those who worship idols, who worship idols made of brick and clay, are actually worshiping demons. Anything that takes away the worship from the creator, as Paul said in Romans, they stopped worshiping the creator and they started worshiping the created thing. Then that becomes an idol and it actually becomes demon worship. Now, when we think of that on terms of worshiping people standing in front of a uh, statue, you say, well, we won't do that and that's not there. But there are other things things that we idolize and we put them before God sometimes. And when we do that, God does not receive that worship. I'm not talking about normal adoration of your family and things like that, things that are, tend to be normal. But many times we misprioritize the worship of God and we put other things before him. God says, honor me with the first fruits of your substance, even in our giving. When we decide that we don't want to prioritize and become better habits and better stewards of our finances, why? So we can be more generous because God requires that. What happens then is we begin to worship money. And the Bible says you can't worship God in what? Money. <clears throat> Money's not a bad thing. Money's neither, it's amoral. It's neither bad nor good. But anything you begin to put before God and before service to the Lord then becomes an idol. And you stop giving God worship to God and start to give worship to the demonic. Wow. Y'all read it on the screen, didn't you? So that anything we begin to hold in higher esteem than God becomes in the place of the demonic. And we see that the people in Ephesus are big into demon worship. And if you want to read it, it's really exciting to read. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 19, you see that there are many people who go around calling on different gods, trying to find out which one will work to do exorcisms. It's a common practice uh, in the city of Ephesus. And you will find seven young men whose father is a preacher. His name is Sceva. <laughs> and Sceva's sons see the power and the great power that Paul has and the Holy Spirit working through Paul. And they say, oh, we got it. That's our meal ticket now. And so they go into a house and they decide that we'll do an exorcism and get a demon out. And when we get that demon out, we're going to say, I want to cast you out in the name of Jesus who Paul believes in. And the demon looks at them and says, I know Paul. <laughs> I know Jesus. I don't know you. They didn't have any power. And the Bible says that the man who was demon-possessed beat them to the point that they ran out stark naked out of the house. Now, that sounds funny, but how many people now in today's world are calling on the name of Jesus but don't have the power of Jesus? 
and you don't see a real effect or real change. Why? Because they have a knowledge, a zeal of God, but not according to what? Knowledge. And they don't have power. See, when you have power and God's power is with you, you begin to see forces begin to attack you. You become, see the world become antagonistic towards you. Why? Because the enemy sees you then as a threat. Satan's not going to bother nobody he doesn't have. He doesn't try to kill you if you're not on the right path. He tries to destroy those who are on the right path. Well, preacher tried to proof text that. I will, because if you go right over into the book of Acts chapter 20, you will see that the idol makers got upset because they said all these people are starting to believe all over Asia in, in this Jesus character. And Paul has all this power and it's hurting our bottom line. It's hurting our bottom line. Nobody wants to buy our idols anymore. So it's time for us to take this Paul and all these Christian people and kill them. And it's really cool to read the story that when you read this story, they, be, they begin a riot in the entire town. Why? Because Paul is messing with their money. And oftentimes, some of the things that the world uh, tends to gravitate toward and they like are things that God doesn't like. And when Christians begin to mess with those things, the world gets a little irritated, don't they? And so that's the type of atmosphere that he's in at Ephesus. Ephesus is big in the mag uh, in magic and the occult. They have a temple to Artemis and they have a large business from that. And it, because of that, they know because if you're worshiping a lot of idols, that means there are a lot of demons around, right? Mm. So there's a lot. This is a place where the power of the church is needed the most. Many times we like to go to the nice little suburban corners and things, make a nice little church for all the people who love Jesus and we can all get together. But God is really calling the church to the places that nobody really wants to go to. He's really calling the churches to the places where nobody really wants to be because it is the darkest places that need the most what? Light. Hmm. Even Tertullian. Tertullian is called the Latin father of Christianity. Tertullian lived during the first century, and uh, he was a very influential church father, uh, almost an apostolic father after Paul and those people. You may not know Tertullian, but you will know some of the things that Tertullian said. You've heard, everybody heard of the word Trinity? Tertullian is the first person to ever coin that phrase in Latin, and that's where we get that phrase from. Tertullian was that person, and Tertullian said something about the demon possession. And he said this in his apology uh, in AD 197 uh, of chapter 23 of that apology, and you can read it. It says, let a person be brought before your tribunals who is plainly under demonic possession. The wicked spirit bidden to speak by a follower of Christ will, also, uh, will as readily make truthful confession that he is a demon and as elsewhere he has falsely asserted that he is a god. In other words, y'all remember, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, in the Old Testament, there was a God, half man, half fish. His name was Dagon. And, and they, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they took God's Ark and they put it in the temple before Dagon, who was a false God. They were worshiping an idol, which means they were worshiping a demon. And they came out the next day. And what happened was, because the Ark was in the temple and then God's presence was there, they found Dagon laying on his face. <laughs> And so they went back and they picked it up. Check it out. It's in the Old Testament. It's real cool. They took him and they stood him up again. And when they came back, he was out and his hands and heads were broken and nicely laid beside him, letting them know that there is only one God and there is only one power. I know that doesn't sound good in today's world. I know we like not to offend anybody, but the truth of the matter is there is only one way to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. There is only one God. 
And we as Christians have to hold true to that fact and that belief and remember that when you declare that, that the demonic will begin to attack you on every level because it is not happy for you to declare the name of Jesus. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess in the earth, under the earth, and above the earth. And because this is rampant, there are even some who are getting this big business. And I want you to go back and read those things through Acts 19 and Acts 20. Go back and read that. But there's something I want you to see because we as Christians don't have to be fearful for that. Media team, pull up Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. I want you guys to read that with me. This is going to be a study. So if I were you, I'd bring a pen and a paper. We're going to be studying this together. We're going to study this out. Everybody, let's read this uh, together. Ready? Read. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What does that mean? It doesn't matter how big and bad that a demon is, that they are all subject to the power of Jesus Christ. And because Christ is in you, if you know what's in you, they are subject to you, not because of who you are, but because of who is on the inside of you. You have the authority to take victory over things that are in your area, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. You have the authority to begin to pray against powers and principalities and darkness that sit over cities and regions and areas and allow God to let his will be done in earth that is also done what in heaven. And we have that power. But if you don't know you have that power, if you never unlock that power, you are therefore a gun with no bullets. And the church is full now of illiterate Christians, people who are full of emotion. They're full, and emotion is good. It has its place. People who love to worship, people who have hearts for God, but they don't have any knowledge of God, and therefore they are guns with no bullets. They really don't know what they have. And so it's important that we as Christians know what we have and who we are. The power of the Spirit manifested and demonstrated through Paul caused many to leave idol worship. When you go home, I want you to look at Acts 19, 23 through 41. And think about what are some of the similarities in our culture where people are beginning to worship things that are not like God. Now... Let's look at the book of Ephesians. It's written about AD 60. And when Paul writes Ephesians, he is not in Ephesus. Paul is actually in Rome. Paul is in Rome and he's under house arrest. He's in prison. You would think he would want to be writing and doing other things while he's in prison. But in prison, Paul is writing and he gives this letter back uh, to Tychius. Tychius, if you read the book of Ephesus, is mentioned there. He is an inhabitant of Ephesus and he's come to visit Paul. And Paul sends this letter back with Tychius. And some of the earlier manuscripts don't say in Ephesus. So some theologians believe that this was sent as a letter that was supposed to be circulated to different churches around the area. And Paul doesn't have any kind of rebuke for this church or anything else. This book has a different purpose. This book is meant to be, number one, uh, we need to know that it's meant to fortify the faith of Ephesian believers. Also, it's also meant to create unity within the church because you have Gentile believers and you have Jewish believers. And if any time we need unity, it's now in the church. The church has let politics divide them. We've let personal preference divide them. It's time for us to put all that other junk to the side and start to focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Stop focusing on what divides us and focus on what unites us, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we're going to look 
in unity and own unity in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 when we get there. It's meant to be an encouragement to the church. It's also meant to address the purpose and the nature of the church. I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, and it's also meant to foster and continue unity within the church. This is a power principle that I want you to get. The understanding of the purpose of a thing enhances the effectiveness and the efficiency of its function. What do I mean by that? This is a cell phone. It can be a paperweight. But that would be an expensive paperweight. It will be a use of the resources that were put to buy this paperweight. It will be the use of, of the resources that were put into to keeping this paperweight and charging it up and all that went into this paperweight because at the end of the day, although it can be used as a paperweight, it's really used as a communication device. And so what a tragedy it would be for me to spend or you to spend thousands of dollars and invest in something and not know its purpose and miss use it. That becomes a abnormal use or abuse. When you don't know what something is made for, you begin to abuse it. If you don't know the purpose and many people in the church don't know their purpose. And so we have expensive paperweights. You are expensive because you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. God has paid a whole lot to get you inside of his fold. And if we think that our job is just to come on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and sit up and enjoy a little worship and raise our hands and feel good, we have become essentially a spiritual paperweight. It's important for us to know why God is calling us. It's important to know God didn't call you just to be what we used to call bench warmers. God didn't call you for that. God called you with a purpose in mind. You have a purpose and that purpose doesn't necessarily mean to glorify yourself. He has a purpose in mind for you to glorify him. And don't you dare die without figuring out what it is. Well, brother Barry, I'm not as young. As I used to be, that's okay. Your, your, your mouth still works. Your mind still works. You can pray. Prayer is going towards heaven. The Bible says the effectual fervent uh, uh, prayers of the righteous avail as much. Well, Brother Barry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm new to the faith and I don't, have, I don't have as much Bible knowledge and I'm not a good prayer yet. I'm just in discipling. Where there are other things that you can do, there are people that need to be fed, hungry people that need to be fed, things in the church and outside of the church that need to be done that you can do until you get to that level. But don't become a spiritual paperweight. It costs too much for Jesus to purchase you. Hmm. In other words, in order for us to function properly as the church, we must be oriented correctly. Everybody say oriented. According to being, uh, orientation is the, determine, uh, the, term, the determination of the relative positioning of something or someone, especially oneself. This indicates a comparison of how I am currently supposed to be positioned as opposed to where I currently am. When you come to a job, you don't know anything to do. And so they have a new hire what? Orientation. What are they doing? They're trying to say, we're bringing you into a larger organization and we need to teach you the culture of this organization so you know what's expected. We need to teach you your function in the organization so you can do what you need to do. Because in this organization, there are many parts 
but all together we're what? One body. And that works the same in the body of Christ that when we come in, we need to be doing new members what? Orientation. Why? Not so you can just learn all the cool stuff we have, but what, so we can let you know the culture of Christ and where you fit in the body of Christ. You should know what your spiritual gift is. Why? Because if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you are sitting on something that God placed in you to bless the body and some churches are suffering because some people are sitting on their spiritual gifts. They are spiritual paperweights. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a paperweight. Is this helping anybody? The word of God is our straight edge and it's our guide for our Christian relationship. Uh, go to Psalms chapter 25, verse 4 through 5, media team. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing them for a loop, but uh, I, I want you to see this. Psalms chapter 25, verse 4 through 5. I want you to read that with me and you can read the rest later. Read this with me. It says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God or my Savior and my hope is in you is in all the day long. So Sunday morning is good for us to exhort God and to praise and worship uh, and to learn God and to, for the word of God to be expounded on. But if you really want to grow, you need to be in a discipleship group. You need to be in Bible study. Why? Because teaching, as my spiritual father would always say, Preaching draws you out of the world, but teaching draws the world out of you. And until you become serious about your Christian walk, you are essentially wasting the potential that God put on the inside of you to be effective for his kingdom. Is this helping somebody? As Christians, we are part of a larger body. It's important for us to seek our orientation. We must seek God's will for our lives and live according to it. Then we will realize the fullest potential and be a blessing to the body on a micro and a macro level. In other words, that you'll be a potential, a potential blessing. Right now, my kids are looking at something called the Bible Project. Every day I tell them, when you come in, don't turn on the TV, don't do this. They, they're rebelling and they try to go to mama, but there's no help for them. When you come in, I don't want the TV on. I don't want this. Number one, clean your room. Number two, before you do anything else, I want you to work on your worship music because they were learning at the guitar, building discipline for that. But I also want you to watch two things of the Bible project. And what I want you to do is I want you to write out in your words what it means and brings it to me. The only one who's giving it to me today is my daughter, Anna, the youngest one. I'm waiting on the other two there. So that's that message that is, is coming. But what am I doing? I realize my purpose in the earth as a father is to mold them in the ways of the Lord. And if I don't do that, I do them a what? Disservice. And I am therefore responsible for some of the things that happen in their life. Do you know there's some people waiting to come to Christ that need you to lead them? But if you don't know how to lead them. So it's important and vital. For us to be able to know our purpose. We haven't even got to chapter 1 verse 1 have we? But that's okay. That's okay. I, I, I'm enjoying this. We must realize on a micro and a macro level. What do I mean? Everything is built off of something. The Bible says that God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the man. Man is the head of woman. In this family structure, he has made a family structure. And in that family structure, then the family makes up what? Churches. And that church should help be able to affect the what? Community. And that community should be able to affect its state. And that state should be able to affect its nation. And that nation should be able to affect the world. If we learn where God's purpose is for us on a micro, a small, and a macro, a larger level, don't think that God does not have a purpose for you. He does, but it's very important for you to know the purpose of a thing. 
Now, we're, not, we're going to talk about some of the nature of the church. The nature of the church, the nature of a thing is its basic inherent features. An inherent nature goes far beyond just a description. An inherent nature is an immutable quality, which means that it cannot be changed. There are some things about the church that cannot be changed. It is an immutable quality. And there are some things that, that you need to know that you are and have as the church. Number one, what's A? Read that with me. Everybody say that. Chosen for what? Greatness. Now, I need to put a pen by there. You are chosen for greatness, but not by the world standard. Jesus says those who become great among you must become a what? Servant. So you're chosen to what? Serve. We're not trying to get people to worship us, but you are chosen for greatness, not by the worldly definition, but by Christ's definition. We're going to be looking at that uh, in the scriptures. You see those scriptures out to the side. You'll be able to go home and study those. Also, what's another immutable characteristic of the church or the nature of the church? What's B say? We are freed from what? Sin. Sin is a tricky little booger. It'll, it'll get you in places and things like that. And it's meant and designed to destroy. But thanks be unto God who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does C say? We are blessed by what? Kindness. You need to realize, and you would give thanks more if you realize that what you really deserve and what God was giving you. The Bible says, he who is forgiven what? Much. Loves much. A lot of us get comfortable because we start to, in our mind, starting to think we deserve what we get. We deserve lights and water and food and gas. We deserve to have health and strength in our bodies. We deserve to be blessed. We start to take those things for granted until you start to lose them. And then you realize that it's kindness that God has given to you. You're not saved because you're special. You're, you're, you're not saved because you did anything. The Bible says that there is not one righteous, no not one. I like the way he says that. He, he already assumed that when he said that, somebody's going to say, not even me? No, not one. Not even you. I laugh when I read that. There's not one righteous. No, not even one. Before you even ask. And then he says something else. He says, no man seeks after God. Oh, when I came to Jesus, you didn't come to Jesus. He drew you by his grace and his mercy. There's a theologian that said, the only thing I had to do with my salvation was the sinning. He did everything else. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Not only that, but I'm marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into some good stuff, and I'll give these notes so you can go back and study them later. We're filled with the Spirit's power, and also that we are near to God. You need to know that, because sometimes, don't you feel lonely? You ever been in a situation or going through something, you feel like nobody cares and you're all by yourself? Most times, that's the trick of the enemy. There's people generally praying for you and love you. But sometimes, you can't help but get that feeling on the inside. But what about if you knew that you were near to God and that God purposely got you on his mind? One writer says this, I have engraved you in the palm of my hand. Not tattooed, engraved. Carved you in the palm of my hand. God has a specific purpose for you. Now, with all that said, Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> <laughs> verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul gives an introduction 
under house arrest. He has served the church now for 30 years by the time he writes this letter. He is faithful. He is the epitome of faithful. May we be able to say at the end of our life that he has been faithful. Paul has been on three missionary journeys. He has established churches all over the known world. And now he's sitting in a Roman jail, a Roman jail that he could have avoided. But instead of saying that he, uh, he was a citizen, he said, I want to appeal to the emperor. He sent himself to Rome knowing that he would likely be executed, which he was eventually. But he did so because he cared more about the gospel than he did his own life. What a faithful example. I wrote that may our consistent faithfulness be a testimony to over the years. That doesn't mean you're never going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you're never going to make a mistake. But Because Paul wasn't perfect. Paul said this. He said, I am the chief of sinners. He who's writing two-thirds of the New Testament. He who's healing people and people starting to rise. He is filled with the Spirit. And the power says, I'm the chief of sinners. What's that say for us? So God's not calling you to be perfect. He's calling you to be faithful. Don't allow the enemy to tell you just because you messed up or you made a mistake or you're not perfect that you're not worthy for God to use you. I asked the Lord one time, why would you still use me? Why don't you find somebody better? He said, there are no perfect people. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous. No, not one. No man seeks God. No, not one. He wants us to be available and willing for him to use us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. We may actually get one verse read. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Jesus, by the who? Will of God. Not by his will, but by the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you love for somebody to call you the faithful? In Christ Jesus. It'll be good one day to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But wouldn't it be good that you live such a life now that somebody calls you the faithful in Christ Jesus? Why are they the faithful in Christ Jesus? Because they're in the church, but you see what kind of environment they're in. And they still choose to be the what? Church. Might lose your job if you tell people how your faith really works. But will you be faithful? Somebody asks you what you believe about certain hot topics of the day. Will you run or will you stand? If somebody said something one day, a, a lady, I think her name is Miki Addison, and I heard and I thought it was phenomenal. She said, if you can't stand on the word, at least hide behind it. If you're not bold enough to tell the truth on your own, just say, I wish I didn't have to say this, but the Bible says this, and I, I believe it. So we mad at it. <laughs> But I believe the Bible. If you can't stand on the word, at least hide behind it. But don't deny it. Don't run from it. And in our culture today, it will be a day and time, not all the way. That the, but we see constantly, all you have to do is turn on the news. Don't turn on the news. It's negative. But if you did turn on the news, you would see that this world does not like God. And it is antagonistic towards God. The culture does not like God. It is antagonistic toward God. No, not everybody hates God. We do have some good people and Christians in the world, and I want to be balanced. I don't want you to get a negative view of, of the world, but the general nature of the world, it does not like God. 
The flesh does not like God. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to have grace and that inner peace, that's that quietness and stillness in your spirit. And then he begins to give praise to God. He says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's enough to spend 20 weeks on. <laughs> it is because you don't really realize what he's saying. We've heard it this time many times in the King James that says, who seated us with him in heavenly places. And what is he really saying? He's saying several things here that are powerful things that we need to know. Number one, that where is heaven? Heaven is outside the realm of time. Heaven is outside the realm of earth. Heaven is eternal. There is no end or beginning in heaven. So guess what? If he seated our blessings in heavenly places, that means our blessings never what? Run out. He's given us eternal blessing. He seated us with him in what? heavenly places. We need to know that because the blessings of God are rich. How do you know that? Guys, I want you to do this for me. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 and come right back to that. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. I want them to see something. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. Let's read that. If you what? Belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You've been grafted into the family of God. You are spiritually the seed of Abraham. Therefore, everything he promised Abraham, guess what? It goes to you. Every blessing God has given on this earth comes under the Abrahamic covenant, but he's given you even greater blessings that will never run out. See, covenants go to certain points. God had a covenant, the old covenant, at which we call the old testament just like a last will and testament and then one day he said a new covenant a new law i give to you i'm giving you uh this blood it is the blood of what my co new covenant he's given a new covenant there are four major covenants in the bible there's the adamic covenant there's the noahic covenant there's the abrahamic covenant and the davidic covenant that says that my seed will sit on the throne forever jesus is the fulfillment of that davidic covenant that david will sit on the throne forever david's seed which is jesus but we see this when you feel down in the dumps when you feel like nobody cares do you really realize child of god who you are. He has seated you with him in heavenly places. Endless and boundless. Hmm. Then they're never ending. Jesus. The heavenly realm is eternal. Let's look at some of the benefits that we have. What's benefit number one? What's that say? We have been saved. So when he saves us, one day we're going to reign with him, what? Forever. There's no expiration date on it. Oh, Jesus. I'm so glad because there's a lot of people who like to, like to find an expiration date for me and for you. But Jesus says, those who I hold in my hand, the devil in hell can't pluck them out. Aren't you glad that your salvation has nothing to do with the approval of mankind? That's a blessing of being seated with him in heavenly places. Let's look at what B said. B said this. We have been grafted into the what? 
family of God. Let's look at Romans chapter 11. I'm not in a hurry. We, this is a series. We got time. I want to try to get through all this tonight. I'm, I'm just honest. We're not going to get through all this tonight, but that's okay. I'm enjoying this. Are y'all enjoying this? Am, am I boring y'all? All right. We'll, we'll keep going. Romans 11, chapter 11, verse 11 through 24. Oh, thank you, media team. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, and how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to the, you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world because the Jews rejected, we get reconciliation. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Let's read the rest with me. Read with me. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those of the branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Good God Almighty. Let's read that again. You will say what? Branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. God allowed them to reject him just so you could be grafted in. He had an eternal plan for you before the foundation of the world just so you could be grafted into the family of God. Verse 20, read it. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. Oh, Jesus. Graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to the nature were grafted in and cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? In other words, God's going to get you in and he's going to get the Jews in that believe in him and that trust in him. But that's a heavenly blessing, a blessing that he made for the chosen of Israel. And guess what? You get in on it too. He did it before the world was even framed. It said, behold the Lamb slain before when? The foundation of the world. In other words, before you ever sinned, God already had your salvation set up. Why? How do I know that? Because Paul told me this in Romans 5 and 8, that God demonstrated or showed his love for me this way. He commended his love for us that while we were what? Yet sinners. But I ain't got myself together. When I come to church, I get myself together. You'll never get yourself together. While we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but I feel the power of God in that statement. Has anybody ever been a yet sinner? 
Is anybody a still sinner? <laughs> that we still fall short? Sometimes we're not as kind as we need to be. Sometimes we're not as compassionate or caring or loving as we need to be. Sometimes we don't have a burden for the lost, and God's burden is for the lost. And we don't have that burden. We just don't care. And he still died for us. Oh, Jesus. Hmm. I got five more minutes. Guys, flip back to that screen for me. We've been grafted into the family of God. We've been given spiritual gifts to be a blessing to the whole body and the world. We have the hope of the resurrection. There's a difference between a resuscitation and a resurrection. If you stop breathing and your heart stops breathing, I can resuscitate you. But when I resurrect you, that means everything's gone, everything's dead, and I bring it up new. Jesus said, behold, I make all things what? New. So when he died, he made a way for you to be resurrected in a glorified body. Paul put it this way. One day this corruptible flesh will put on incorruption and this mortal flesh will put on immortality. God has made a way for the resurrection of the dead. We have hope. If we didn't have the resurrection of the dead, what would be hope? You just live however you want. Eat, drink, and marry for all day we may die. And, and whatever happens just happens. And so if I'm kind, great. But this, what happens? There's no hope in that. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope in that, that I'm just living to exist and there's no purpose to my life. I don't have a creator. I don't have a design. I'm just here going listlessly through life, eating and drinking and having all I want, but never finding satisfaction. The only hope we have is that there has to be more to life than this, that God is going to give us eternal life in a resurrected body that doesn't have arthritis, that doesn't have diabetes, that doesn't have high blood pressure, that doesn't have depression, that doesn't have sickness that doesn't have lack and he's going to put us in an environment that even if something would hurt us he's got a tree sitting in the middle of the river that you can pluck off and it says it's there for the healing of the nations and that God will light a city and there'll be no need for a son for God himself will be the light he's given a hope of a resurrection that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord that one day when this body is dead our death will never have me I hear that old song saying ain't no grave that can hold my body down that we have a God that's going to raise us I can't move like I used to move, Pastor. I can't, can't breathe like I used to breathe. My body is showing me signs that it's wearing out, and I'm getting worried that my body is going to go out. Don't worry about it, baby. You got a warranty. And guess what? You're going to get a brand new model. Even if this one wear out, God's going to give you a brand new one. He's going to give you a glorified body, an eternal promise, a hope of the resurrection. We have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are, that's an eternal blessing. Hallelujah. I don't know which way I would turn. The Bible says you don't have to. For the Holy Spirit of God intercedes for us 
with groanings that can't even be uttered, when we can't even open our mouth, when we don't know what we need to pray for, God still gives the Holy Spirit to pray for us. These are benefits as believers that we have, but we don't ever use them. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Because we have become a spiritual paperweight. We complain that the world is going to Hades in a handbasket. We complain that our families are falling apart. We complain that our life isn't the way that it needs to be. And God has given us the key. You know how silly it would be for me to sit in water and say I'm drowning and somebody to walk in, look at me and say, sir, stand up. But that's what we do. Oh, I don't have enough money. Oh, I don't have pain in my body. Oh, I don't have any provisions. Oh, poor me. Oh, my family's crazy. Oh, my family doesn't love God. Christian, stand up and kneel down. He seated you with him in heavenly places. He has all power. He has all authority. So if you have him, what do you have? I want my marriage to be better. I want my life to be better. No, we can't control everything that happens to us in life. But God has promised that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The reason a lot of stuff is going on in our life, we can't control everything. But some of it is simply because we have not petitioned God in prayer because we don't know who we are in the earth realm. And Satan's not bothered by us because we are dormant Christians. We're just like sleeping and hibernating bears. But oh, if the church would wake up and realize who they are. If the church would wake up and realize that you're seated with him in heavenly places. Oh, if the church would realize that we have this treasure in these earthen vessels in these jars of clay. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Oh, Jesus. That's, that's, that's powerful. Hallelujah. For he chose us. You didn't come to him. You didn't choose him. I came to Jesus as I was, weary, wounded, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. No, you didn't. He chose you. Why? I have no idea why, because every time I look in the mirror, I wouldn't have chose me. <laughs> I'm just being honest, because I know me. And if you think he would have chose you, you're not being honest with yourself. 
<laughs> all we, not some of we, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've gone every man into his way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Read that with me. You need to know that. And what I want you to do is I want you to change that word us to me when you read it. Just read it. And watch how powerful that statement is. Ready, read. For he chose me in him. Do that again. For he chose me in him. Do it one more time. For he chose me in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. Change us to me again. Let's read it. Read the rest. He predestined me for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in according with his will and his pleasure. His Sounds different when you say me, doesn't it? Really drives home. Because we know what we really deserve. See, grace and mercy are two different things. Oftentimes we forget that. We try to make the two synonymous with the other, but they're not. See, grace is unmerited favor. Grace means that you get something that you don't deserve. Mercy means you deserve something, but you ain't get it. And all of us, on one level or another, have seen both grace and mercy knock on our door. Oh, Jesus. All of us, if we're saved, realize we got something that we didn't deserve. And all of us that are honest say that we didn't get something that we did. Jesus. This is going to be an exciting lesson. This is going to be an exciting teaching. We haven't even got past verse 2, y'all. <laughs> verse 4. I almost got to five, but it's time to quit. <laughs> mm. I'm going to find a way, and I'll get it out to you guys. I'm looking at some other ways and mediums to be able to actually get these sermon notes and these notes out to you so that you'll be able to read them and to study them across the week. Because as you can see, there's a lot of scripture in there. There's no way that we could go through all that scripture in the short time we have. But you got all week long. To get those scriptures in, don't you? And I know we're all going to do it, right? I'm not going to make you lie. If you ain't going to do it, that's okay. I'm not going to even look at you. <laughs> you want to be a paperweight? That's on you. Cheap shot. <laughs> Got to have a little fun, huh? <laughs> he said, if you can't say amen, say out. But I'm encouraged because I know each one of us want to be and realize the potential that we have in Christ. We want to know the nature that we have because we are the church. We're the body of Christ. And we want to be able to function to our fullest potential in him. Amen? Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise.